Did you know locums docs make, on average, 33% more than employed docs? Got your attention now? So, if you're considering locum tenants, either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two, or maybe even 20. Locumstory.com is packed with unbiased information and tools to see what the trends are in your specialty and even make a decision if locums is right for you. My advice? Make locumstory.com the go-to place to learn more about locum tenants. That's locumstory.com. What's good, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. I'm the host, Dr. Nee. I'm joined by... Dr. Renee. Yay. Hey, so listen, um, if you could tell by the background, there's some background noise. If you're watching on YouTube, shout out to everybody who's watching us on YouTube. You can see that we're in a different environment. We've got people walking around, hustling and bustling in the background. Um, so we're not at home. It's called a conference. It's called a conference. <laughs> That's right. Hey, everybody, we are at the AACOM, the American Association of Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine. They're having their education or edu- educating leaders annual conference. Mm-hmm. We were part of the first ever Metacristi panel. Um, if you don't know, Metacristi DO is the first African American osteopathic graduate in the United States. Yep. And uh, we were on this panel yesterday for about an hour. We had It was me and you, as well as mm-hmm. two osteopathic medical students. And we were talking about diversity, mm-hmm. equity, and inclusion, those type of topics. Moderated by the Dr. Barbara Rossley. She's an icon in osteopathic medicine for so many different reasons. Um, but it was really dope to yeah. be on that panel. We didn't get a chance to record it. So we wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that on this episode. Mm-hmm. But before we jump into that, I think the most important thing is, you know, in the last episode, we talked about what it was like to travel, mm-hmm. what it's like to, you know, kind of be in part of these events. And I think one of the persons who got us onto this panel, Dr. Jason Walker, PhD, Dr. Jason Walker, he's a PhD at, he's at PCOM? He's at PCOM uh, South Georgia. And one of the funny things he said to me, he's like, Dr. Darko, he's talking to me. Dr. Darko, like, I'm surprised you were able to make this event because you're working <laughs> all the time. He said, you're the hardest working man in America. You're working all the time. And as a result, like, you can't, I, I'm, it's very rare that I'm able to go to these events. You normally go to your events. This is your bag. This is what you're good at. And then <laughs> it started, I? but it started thinking to me. I was like, I started thinking. I was like, man, like, it's true. Mm-hmm. And to be really honest, one of the ways that I've been able to start plugging myself back in is by really controlling my schedule, knowing exactly when I'm going to work and when I'm not going to be, mm-hmm. you know, working and I can participate in these type of conferences. Yeah. For me, the biggest thing that helps is working locums, I think. I yeah. think that works for me. I think if I was employed, I would not be able to go to as many conferences as we have slated for this year. Yeah. Um, or even- I, let, let me tell you, as your business manager... I have definitely put a number of conferences on your schedule. <laughs> yeah. So the way how it works is, is as a locums, I'm an independent contractor with a hospital, just like how you would hire a plumber and you work with a plumber. A plumber tells you when he can work or when she can work. And then that's it. Yeah. Right. There's no salary. There's no you know benefits. It's just a straight fee. And then with that fee, you're supposed to be able to do and purchase what you need to do, which may be, you know. Plumbing. Plumbing, or which may be, you know, like a 401k, or which may be in health insurance and so forth. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so as I said, you know, you definitely this year um, are going to have a number of conferences that we're going to be plugging you into. 
Um, part of the reason that actually you're going to have a much busier schedule in general this year is because, you know, we are doing um, something a little bit different. So did you know? Did you know that we're doing something different? No. <laughs> you know, you're just playing around. No, I really don't know what you're even getting at. <laughs> well, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We have a couple of campaigns upcoming this year um, for Docs Outside the Box. And um, it's going to require that we do um, a little bit more travel, hopefully taking this podcast on the road like we're taking right now. And one of the uh, one of the places that we're going to be uh, partnered up with is actually Locum Story. Ah, um, yeah, Locum that's Story. where I'm going with okay. it. So now, now I know, you know where you're going. That's where, Okay, so that's why I remain the host, okay? Because you don't know how to lead people in at all. Really? So guys, we're doing things a little bit differently here. Right. We are partnering up with Locum Story. Okay. <laughs> and they are literally the online resource for everything you wanted to know about Locums. I'm telling you right now. So when I first started doing Locums in 2012, my resource was you. Yeah. <laughs> because you were doing Locums at the time. And that's why I'm the business manager. Right. So if you go to locumstory.com <laughs> right now, literally it is um the best way I could take I could say is is it's really unbiased information. Yeah. Like it's trust me, as someone who's done locums for 10 years, the information is very unbiased. You have the opportunity to really compare different locums agencies, mm-hmm. which is huge, yeah. right? What do they offer? What uh, what what are the type of rates based off of the type of specialties that you're yeah, looking at? Yeah. That's really cold. If they because yeah. you know there's one thing to say, hey, I want to do locums, but if you don't know what the rates are, and right. then if you don't know what the rates are between companies. Yo, what are we talking about here? So yeah. so yeah, no, that's really good that Locum Story does that because one of the main questions that we get whenever people ask us about Locums is, well, how much should I be charging? What should my rates be? Yeah. So the fact that they even have that information is ridiculous. So even if you remember it, how you found out you should be charging? Oh my god. You want to talk about that real quick? Yeah. So I found out that I, I found out how I was being paid and how much I was being paid and how much the Locum's agency I was working with at the time was being paid because um, someone didn't realize that they were not supposed to CC me on an email. One of the administrators at a hospital CC'd me on an email um, to the Locum's company and he outlined all of the rates. And I was like, wait, what? I was like, I'm not getting even half of this money. Yeah, so basically the rate that the Locums company quoted to you, that's what you were getting paid. When you saw the email, the email showed exactly the total amount that the Locums company was charging the hospital. And you found out that you were like pennies on the dollar compared to what they were paying you. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's the the platform Locum Story is a really good way to just kind of compare the rates you know, that you're getting. But the other thing is a lot of the questions that we get also is, okay, well, will I be able to control my schedule? Obviously, we just answered that. Obviously, the answer is yes. But can I do locals when I have, unless, if I have kids? Unless you give up that power like I did. So I told you when I first started working locums, I gave my, the person who handles me from a locum standpoint. So when you guys work with a company, there's going to be someone who you work with specifically. Mm-hmm. I gave my schedule to him to arrange my um, my my gigs, basically. Mm. And there was one time where, oh, actually, there was a couple of times where I would finish working. I'd finish doing a 24-hour shift, and then I would drive two hours away to another place and start working that same day. Oh, my God. And it didn't click to me that, dude, like, you this guy- You didn't have to do that. This guy's running you ragged, and you didn't have to do that. You control your schedule. Right. But I just, I didn't know how to, like- I didn't know how to take charge of that. I didn't know I could take charge yeah. back then. So yeah. that's just a little bit of an example of, yeah, you can control your schedule. Right. 
you got to be really right. intentional but about that. But you have them. to be very intentional about it. And then uh, the other question that people often ask us, you know, is can you do locums when you have kids? Um, and then the other question that I think people don't even think about, can you do locums internationally? Yes. Right? And we talked about that a little bit um, when we, in a previous episode when you, when you went to Ghana and things like mm-hmm. that. You weren't doing locums in Ghana, obviously, but you said that, you know, a number of doctors work locums while they're in Ghana. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, we know people who there's gigs in the Marshall Islands. Yeah. There's gigs in Guam. Uh, there's gigs in just... New Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah. Um, so listen, folks... You know, you ain't got to do things. The you don't have to do things one way. Like there's multiple ways you can skin a cat, and I think that locumstory.com they do a really good job of making sure that you understand the entire scope mm-hmm. of what to expect as a locums doc. Yeah, I think they do it the best out of anybody. Yeah, like I said, I wish this resource was there when I was there, or at least you knew about it because it probably did exist already. <laughs> no, they, I spoke to them. It, it really? did not exist back oh, then. Oh no. wow! I do my research. <laughs> I do my research. I it was not there back in 2011, 2012. So, yeah. so listen. I mean, yeah, it's good, and and we're also going to be partnering with them on a special campaign um, to essentially show our audience exactly what it takes. How do you go through getting a locums gig? Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, but the link, the link to locumstory.com is going to be in the show notes. Um, so and, and listen, guys, come on. Y'all, y'all can't figure that out. It's locumstory.com. Come on now. Yo. It is, but there's a special link for us so that they know that they came from locumstory.com. us. Locumstory.com. So locumstory.com. Come on, guys. This ain't okay. hard. No, no, but they got to use the special link <laughs> to let them know that it came from Docs Outside the Box. That's true, yeah. So if you love Docs Outside the Box and you want Locum Story to know that... You're, that you went to their website because of Docs Outside the Box, and we don't get we don't get anything from you clicking the link. So you can just go ahead and click the link. We just get the satisfaction of knowing that we are sending people over to locumstory.com. Then, um, yeah, click the link in the show notes. Links are always in the show notes, and also if you're watching on YouTube, it's in the show description. Yep. Make sure Down you check below. that out. So, like, let's let's jump into how locums allows us to be here. So we've we've kind of settled that locums thing yeah. already. So now that we are here in Denver at the AACOM Educating Leaders Conference, we're making this work. So why were we invited here? Well, actually, we were invited because Dr. Jason Walker <laughs> thought about right, us. Right. <laughs> so he. You know, he's uh, a part of the, I think it's called a committee, oh gosh, it's called the Committee on Diversity and Equity um, that the AAMC has. And, um, you know, I we've known Dr. Jason Walker for some time because he used to work at, at our alma mater. Yeah, KCU. Shout out to KCU. Yep. Yeah, and- not sponsoring the show. <laughs> think about that. Hey. Oh my goodness. <laughs> But yeah, so um, we've, you know, we've been in contact with Dr. Walker for a while. Yeah, you need to move over a little bit into the camera more. Yeah, sure. Act um, like you potted before. And um, yeah, so he really thought about us when it came to this inaugural panel for Metacristi and really, you know, talking to the audience about just the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, justice, Um you know, something that the AACOM is, you know, really dedicated to and and trying to um, make make sure that they address um, in terms of being able to create the next generation. Well, I of think DOs. I think I think for me, what I got from Dr. Jason Walker is the reason he wanted us on there is because we kind of walk it and talk it. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think sometimes when you can get too academic, that's your bag. When you can get too academic with certain <laughs> talks. You have all of these great ideas, 
or all of these great um, you figure out the problem, but you don't necessarily have solutions right. that actually work. And I think him having two practicing physicians on there, married couple, African-American, or excuse me, you know, Haitian-American, uh, Ghanaian-American. Um, some people may just look at us as African-American. Mm-hmm. We have all of these different experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen uh, diversity. We've seen inclusion work in so many different facets from us in high school mm-hmm. to us in college, med school, and so forth. And I think that's something that I want to get on to this show where we talk about the pipeline. So, mm-hmm. But before we jump into that discussion, let's just take a quick break for a sponsor. This episode is brought to you by locumstory.com. Backdrop. 2012, finishing my fellowship in Miami, and no decision bigger than where and how I was going to start working on my own. And there it was, the fork in the road. Being employed versus something I had never heard of before, locum tenants. So I decided to go the locums route, and I had a ton of questions then. I stumbled a bit, but eventually I was able to stand on my own, and I have been working locums over the past 10 years. Now, what about you? If you're considering locums, you probably have hella questions just like I did. Like, who covers my malpractice? Do I really have control over how often I work? And what are the tax implications? Now, lucky for you, locumstory.com has the answers you need. It's packed with unbiased information and advice from docs just like you. And there's nothing to sell here. It's just a simple resource for information, like finding out what's the average pay rate for your specialty. There's even a quiz to see if locums is right for you. So listen, take my advice. Locumstory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about locums. That's locumstory.com. And we're back. So listen, y'all. I'm going to start this off by saying, yo, Dr. Renee, I don't know what it is that she's drinking. She's like a superwoman, yo. She (laughs) killed this panel. So there was a panel of four folks, right? Dr. Barbara Ross Lee was leading this panel. And uh, this was a panel on, you know, just talking about different solutions that we can come up with, that diversity issue within the AACOM, all of these different colleges of osteopathic medicine. And it was two medical students who are dope. They're great. And then me and Renee were there, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, man, like, we're in this big dais. The chairs are nice and comfortable. Oh, yeah. yeah. Chairs are nice and comfortable. Yeah. The it lights wasn't are on. Like, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it was a different type of vibe, for real. It was really like, it was, the, it was in this grand ballroom. Like, everybody was plugged in and there. I thought this was going to be like a small panel in a small room. I didn't know it was going to be the event mm-hmm. for, that, for yesterday, which was, which was great. But I got to say, yo, like, Renee, like, whatever... <laughs> You was off the chain. Yeah, like, that's your bag. Like <laughs> you handled that situation. Like your ability to storytell, your ability to <laughs> captivate the audience. Like don't get humble on this, for real. Like don't mess it up. Like All don't right, mess hold it up. On, Just hold on. let it it's breathe. A gift, you know. Just, but hold on, let it breathe. Just let it breathe for a second. Like let me give you your flowers. The ability for you to speak and captivate a crowd and tell your story, talking about pipeline and talking about some of the issues that you developed or had happen to you while you were in college and so forth. Like, that's phenomenal. I'm sitting up there. I'm giving my answers. They asked me a question about finances, and I'll get into that later. But my answer was just, like, elementary. Like, you went, you went cold on them on it. So <laughs> I just said, how about this? Let's, let's, let's do this question real quick that Dr. Barbara Ross Lee ans- asked you, mm-hmm. and then I want you to answer it, and then I'll ask you some questions from here, okay? Okay. Does that work? 
That works. You're not nervous, are you? Oh my God, I'm so nervous. All right, so she asked you, as you work with individuals who want to be physicians, what are some things that you think that the leaders of our College of Osteopathic Medicine should know about the hopes, expectations, and fears of our future students? Dr. Renee, what say you? What did you say? <laughs> say exactly what you said yesterday. Well, I don't, don't know change that it I up. can say I, exactly what I said yesterday, but I did say that they need to know a lot. But, um, you know, one of the first things that I went to, that I went into was the fact that... Man, just answer the way how you answered yesterday. <laughs> Nobody asked you to summarize. Just get into it. Come on. Okay. So we need to understand, right? Leaders need to understand that, you know, Pre-med students, oftentimes they're lost. They, they don't actually know what it takes to get into medical school, right? And without that knowledge, then they're going to be at a disadvantage. Um, you know, and, and that's something that I don't know that people actually appreciate. There's kind of a notion that people, you know, have that, you know, if you're in this process, you know exactly what it is that you're supposed to be doing and you don't. Um, oh, so that, that was a number one point that I thought was dope yeah right like yeah. people just assume that you are applying to school you know all the ins and outs mm-hmm. and there are things that are just not obvious right particularly if you don't grow up in that type in of that type of environment environment yeah. if your parents aren't physicians or if your parents maybe aren't um you know maybe didn't go to college right you may exactly. not know certain things but exactly. keep going keep going sis no, you, you're cooking so then, you're cooking <laughs> cooking in the kitchen. she's cooking guys she's cooking <laughs> come on go at it so the you know so i brought that to basically talk about the next point, which that's where I got into my story. And I talked about how, you know, I was valedictorian of my preschool class, right? I had always been a very good student. I was the only student in my elementary, in my elementary school to get a, a scholarship to a private high school. Once I did that, I, I graduated salutatorian. I didn't know there was private high schools in Brooklyn, but go ahead. Get out of here. <laughs> you went to a private high school. In Newark. Exactly. I, I didn't know one. I, I didn't know that there were private I, anything in Newark. I, um, <laughs> so, but I talked about that. And then I talked about the fact that I graduated salutatorian from that high school and then went into college thinking, you know, it's going to go great. Well, by the end of my first year, I had a 1.9 GPA. You know, me, the preschool, you know, valedictorian. Who would have thought? <laughs> like, you know? And so, and I know a lot of people who have had that experience. Um, <laughs> who actually say that? Y'all got a one-nine, but I started off as the preschool valedictorian. <laughs> Damn! What? Well, maybe How did not I the go wrong? <laughs> maybe not the preschool valedictorian. How did I go wrong but, from preschool? Um, <laughs> I, still, I still have my sash somewhere for that says valedictorian somewhere. Like uh, 12 years, maybe? 13 years. <laughs> All right, go ahead. But... You know, what I really wanted to bring out from that story was the fact that when I went to my pre-med advisor, the person who was supposed to help me, what she basically told me was, you know, that I should essentially do something else. But hold on, before you go there, you, so what you leave and I see, this is what I'm here for. Okay, so you want me to tell the whole story. Well, tell the story in way, the way in which you told. Like okay. you, you went from, so you start, went, hold on. I ain't say you can go yet. Hold on a second. That's part of the reason why I'm here is because you're not... You're not moderating as well. So what was the feeling that you had when you had the 1-9? Talk about that. Well, the feeling that I had when I had the 1-9 was I actually was confused. Right. I didn't really know what was going on. I felt overwhelmed. Um, I just felt like, okay, something's not something's not right. Um, and I really couldn't understand, you know, the feelings that I was having, like, what, and, and the result that I was getting. 
Like that to me was just. So what, what do you think it was? Was it test taking? Do you think you weren't ready? Do you think you were really interested in that? No, in bio at the hi, time? Like, no, look, look, look. hindsight, hindsight. I think what it was, was I really just had poor study habits, at least for college. See, I did. this is what she said yesterday, guys. And she's leaving all this. So that's why I got to, you got to, you know, but keep going. <laughs> so I think I had poor study habits, but that's hindsight. So this is one nine at the end of your first year? At the end of my first year. Okay. And so talking to my pre-med advisor, went into her office and said to her, you know, I feel overwhelmed. I really don't know what to do. Um, and she said, well, you know, what do you want to do eventually? And I said, well, I want to go to med school. I want to be a doctor. And she said, looks at me and she goes, hmm, maybe you should go to dental school instead. And then she goes, no. Hold up. Pause. So at this point, <laughs> there is a bunch of people in the audience who are like, they're kind of smirking. and they're like, oh, snap. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But keep going. Then she says, uh, well, maybe you should go to dental school instead. And she goes, but that's hard to get into also. Ooh. <laughs> and then there's that ooh <laughs> in the room. Yeah. And then she goes, maybe you should go to graduate school and do something else. That's literally the advice that she, and that's verbatim. Like, I want you to, I, like, I need people to understand that that's verbatim. And the fact that I, I remember that verbatim it literally it literally is an indication that it left such a negative impression on me you know that i remember specifically those words i was 18 years old so at the point you were lost you were overwhelmed and yeah. you were going to her to try to find yeah. maybe some type of lifeline or something like that something to you know someone to help me and she essentially didn't even she didn't even give me a chance she didn't ask me well, what you know What's your problem? What are you doing? You know, tell me what your day is. Because a like. lot could change in your after your first year. Oh, absolutely. You know, right? this did is not change. your this is not your third year, your fourth year. Well, I mean, I think it's important for us to realize that at 18 years old, we should not expect for people to have it all together, right? Like that's an unrealistic expectation. There are there are responsibilities that we would never give an 18 year old. All right, pause. So let's go back into the way how you're answering the question. So. Once you 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 said that part of the question, mm -hmm. or you said that part of the description of you being in an office, she's saying, look, it looks like med school, dental school, that's too tough for you. Maybe mm -hmm. you need to do grad school and so forth. Why don't you go to, um, keep going with the story. So You got kicked out of school? What happened? No, I didn't get kicked out of school. <laughs> so, But what I did say was, you know, that fortunately, you know, I had a way to, to keep going, right? Like my story is very long and convoluted. Um, so I didn't go into the entire thing, but eventually I kept going. But my question, you know, to the audience was, well, what about those people who didn't keep going? What about those pre-meds who fall off and you, you never see them again? You actually never see them again, right? If I were that person, you would literally never see me again. And we've got to understand that as a profession, like we have to take a stake in recruiting people into our profession. Like that's our responsibility. Now, there are some good, you know, uh, pre-med advisors, but I mean, let's face it, they don't necessarily have that big of a stake in the game for us to really outsource, you know, our recruitment. And especially when it comes to diversity initiatives, something that is so very important, we don't, we really shouldn't outsource that. Um, to a whole other profession, um, which is the the pre med advisement profession. Um, so I really think it's our you know it's our responsibility to do that. And I told told them about the medic program, and I shouted out 
you know, the schools that are but hold in on, the medical program. I think one of the things that you talked about mm-hmm. was pipeline programs. Yeah. So why don't you talk briefly about what you mentioned? Yeah, I there. forgot about that actually. Yeah. Yeah, that's so. why, yeah, I know you did. That's why I'm here. <laughs> because you know what I said. Yes, I was watching. I was in awe. <laughs> Yo, I'm telling you, she was cold, guys. Yeah. Cold. So I talked about pro, uh, pipeline programs and, you know, mentioned that the students who are told that they are not going to make it and they fall off. They don't even get an opportunity to get into a pipeline program. Oftentimes, you know, the people who actually even make it to a pipeline program are people. Those are who, those are those B and C students, maybe right. lo, lower B range C students who just need a little bit of a of a boost. Hey, what's going on? Right. Let me help you out. Exactly, okay? and they probably were going to figure it out anyway, right? They probably even if they weren't necessarily in a pipeline program, they might have figured it out. That was that was actually my case. Right. I was not in a pipeline program. So what you said that specifically in the pipeline programs, what you're noticing is those are the students that would have what? They would have made it anyway. Okay. They gotcha. would have made it anyway. And so we've lost a number of students who actually did need that pipeline. So when you say that, are you saying that there's it, the people who are in there shouldn't be in those pipeline programs? No, okay. definitely not. No, I think pipeline programs are extremely important. And I don't want to take away, you know, from people who have gone through pipeline programs because guess what? While they might have made it anyway, this probably shortened, you know, the the length of time for them to get there. Probably shortened or it probably lessened the pain for them to get through there. Right. Unlike me, I didn't go through a, through a pipeline program. So it, that probably l- lengthened the time for me to be able to figure out what I was going to do. Had I been in a pipeline program, yeah, I would have made it anyway, but I maybe would have made it in a shorter period of time. Right. So, you know, I don't want to discount pipeline programs and say, oh, well, you know, they're not good for anything. So, so what do you You're think? Just preaching to the choir. What do you think the leaders could do right now then? So I think one of the things that the leaders can do is they need to, they literally need to take the reins of recruitment. Like it can't be this, I feel like recruitment is very passive for lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. right? We wait for the students to come to us, right? Even even if we go to uh, organizational, you know, conferences, right? We go to the organizational conferences in hopes that the students will come to us, right? Um, We might go to a school fair here and there, but let's face it, there are over 3,000 colleges around the country, so we can't necessarily... So you you were proposing an active role. A very active active role. role? Well, one of the roles that I propose is is a solution of my own, which is the medic program, right? (laughs) Look at this lady yeah. talking about the stuff that she, shameless. Yeah, I got a problem. I got a solution. That's so, right. So you talk well, about your medic app. So the reason why you you talk about your medic app, you shouted out. What's the schools that you shouted out? So I shouted out William Carey University, uh, Des Moines University, Kansas City University, and Idaho College of Osteopathic. Why'd you shout them out? I shouted them out because these are these are schools that have invested in my program in particular, but because they are schools that literally are taking the reins and saying. We are going to kind of not eliminate, but we are going to um, not necessitate the middleman of the the pre-med advisor, right? So I always encourage students to go to their pre-med advisors, good, bad, or otherwise. I say go to your pre-med advisor because there is something that you're going to need from them, and you need to make sure that you cultivate that relationship. But at the same time, I recognize that 
there is value in going straight to the source, going straight to the horse's mouth. And the horse's mouth is the medical school. So your app allows direct communication between the medical school and college students, pre-medical students, mm-hmm. non-traditional, non-traditional students. students. And as on well. your on your app, you allow certain events like a pre-med. So we, I talked about the mock and rock event. Right. So this is an opportunity for pre-meds who are using your app, mm-hmm. non-traditional students who are using your app to go on the app and get interviewed by physicians and other people who are in the admissions committee of right. medical schools. Exactly. Admissions committee folks, faculty, medical students. Um, so yeah, this is an opportunity for them to literally interface in ways that they otherwise would not be able to interface, you know, with pre-med, with pre-med students, right? So, you know, the, the schools, schools and pre-meds need to be like, they need to have that relationship. And right now they don't. And the only time that they, that they actually do is if the pre-med person, right? If the pre-med individual is actually reaching out to the school, so there really isn't a, a very. Uh, so you're like the you're like the Uber. Yes. You're like the Lyft. I'm like the Uber of, and Lyft uh, of, of medical schools yeah, and stuff. You're exactly. connecting people, getting rid of the middleman. That's right. The taxis yeah. and the taxis being the uh, pre med advisors. Yeah, taking them places. I'm just I'm decent. I'm, I'm people. Pre med advisors are extremely important, but Absolutely. this is just a non traditional way of looking at communicating Absolutely. between uh, pre meds as well as college or medical schools. So right. and medical schools. I mean, it's it's just an it's just another way to you know, or a, another added thing that we can do to make things better because we've been doing it this way for so long, but we still have issues with diversity. And so I feel like we've we've been in, in implementing the same solutions over and over thinking, okay, well, one day it will work. And it's like, but, you know, it's not working. Right. I got you. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's shift a little bit. So when they asked me, they asked me in my work and teaching about finances, what impact have I found on the high tuition of many medical schools, including osteopathic medical schools? So my answer, which was not as good as hers, <laughs> I basically just kind of listed some of the, the numbers. I said the average medical school debt is like $215,000. If you combine average medical debt with average college debt together, that's roughly around two hundred and forty. $250,000. And it takes roughly about 13 years on average for people to pay back their student loans. Mm-hmm. And I also mentioned that, uh, I don't know if anybody knows, we're going to talk about this on a future episode, but Sally May as well as Navient, they are the defendants on a whole bunch of, yeah. um, what do you call those, uh, class action lawsuits, right. where they found out after doing research is that when you call Sally May or Navient and you are asking for help, you're saying that you don't you can't make a certain payment. You're right. struggling with making a certain payment. There's a whole bunch of different options that they can offer you. One of them being some type of income-based repayment plan, which right. is based off of how much money you're bringing in. Sometimes you may be allowed, based off of how much you're making, to not even make any type of payment. Yeah. And that will actually count towards the significant amount of payments that you need to make consecutively to get yeah. your loan repaid. Without interest. But what they found out after investigating is that actually the and the uh, the customer service workers were shifting people to forbearance right which is basically interest first right and it capitizes and all of these different things that's what happened to me so i can remember this specifically me mm-hmm. calling or excuse me they calling me and i'm ready to go into a case or i'm doing something i'm just trying to get off the phone and, and i'm saying what options do i have because i cannot make any more payments i'm struggling right now as a resident i can't make any payments and they're saying yeah just forbear and that gets them off my back right. for like three months, six months. And then next you know, 
we're back at it again. And that's how someone's student loan payment goes from $240,000 right. to, to $330,000 in, what's that, in five years, mm-hmm. right? Because we graduated in 2006. That was 240000 By the time we finished all of our training in 2011, 2012, we're at $330,000 each. Yep. That's a problem. So I said that that has an impact on how uh, medical students choose the specialties that they want to go into. Yeah. Yeah. As a, even where they're going to practice, mm-hmm. it affects the communities they're going to practice and the hospitals they're going to sign on with. Yeah. And I think after what we learned this year with COVID and a whole bunch of other different things, like the interest of the hospital is not necessarily the interest of you. It's definitely not probably in the same interest of your patients. Yeah, they want your patients to do well, but that may not correlate with standard of care with how you are trained, right? right? So how likely are you to stand up to a hospital? How likely are you going to be able to advocate for your patients when you know that there's going to be some type of financial implication for you, i.e. not being able to make a a student loan payment Mm -hmm. or, you know, just a significant change in how you get paid, right? which is going to affect how you pay your student loans, right? So I think that, you know, there is no talk whatsoever about money in medical school, yet when we get out into the real world, money, Mm. money, like, changes money affects all of the decisions that we make and it affects everything from right. a to z so i think that we need to do a better job we need to incorporate finance some type of talk about money some type of talk about you know what are these loans going to do with you maybe these are your options rather than save that for the exit interview your fourth year right like this needs to be incorporated in, up front up front you know in your first year your second year and there's time guys there's time to have these type of courses and classes or modules to do this. But as you can see, my answer is not as good as hers. So. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, you know, as far as, as at, it relates. trying to figure out a way. To no, say. as far as, <laughs> no, I thought your answer was actually really good. I think what happened. You lying. No, I'm not. I think your answer was actually really good. I think that that's not, you know, that's not a topic that most people are really used to hearing on the academic, you know, on the academic side. Right. Because I think the big thing that I notice is, is, and that's the easiest solution, right? Because from my perspective, I'm not in the, I'm not on the discussions on the board. I'm not on the discussions on admissions where it just seems like medical schools or colleges in general increase their tuition and they know that automatically all of these student loan services are just going to be like, yeah, sure, no problem, right. which is exactly what happens. And it's like, well, but the body hasn't changed. The body hasn't gotten more complex. Like our tuition of $30,000 a year, why is it now $50,000 a year? The body hasn't transformed into something else. Mm-hmm. So what is, where is all this money going to? Yeah. Right? Why am I paying more? Yeah. So I think that's probably one of the hardest things I think to change is the inflation that's going on with, with mm-hmm. college colleges as well as medical student tuition rates. But at least we got to prepare them right. and let them know, like, this is the... This is going to happen and this is how you are supposed to deal with it. Right. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking, you know, how, how do we expect people to give really good care um, to patients when really what they're thinking about is how they're going to make their next payment, how they're going, you know, if they're choosing jobs just based on, well, I got to pay the bills or they're leaving jobs because the job doesn't pay enough, right? Like how many times have you, you know, maybe heard a physician say like, well, you know, they're, they're not really paying much over here. So I have to take another job. And it's like, wow, what an impact that that might have on this community. What impact might that have on that, or even you know, risks. on the student you, body you, because you can't sometimes take risks. you're talking about academics as well, well who are I, leaving their job. I, I also think that the 
issue that we fail to bring up is what about the what could be, the what ifs that this person could do? Like what if they wanted to take a year off and go do some work in a different country, some medical humanitarian work? Or what if they wanted to take some time off and work on some type of I don't know, some type of community service or, right. what or some wanted, innovation. What if they wanted to take a chance and do some type of innovation? Or what if they mm-hmm. wanted to go back to a medical school right? and just be a teacher there yeah. and maybe the pay is not as good as them working clinically, right. but this is what they want to do. But because of that right. mental math, that mathematics, it doesn't work out. And that's what I think is the biggest issue is, is that we're talking about leadership. We're talking about, oh yeah, as a physician, you could do anything you want, but we're not properly preparing them. Yeah, we're not looking it. at the whole scope, right? So now, okay, let's 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 put on our osteopathic hats, right? Let's put on our osteopathic hats because, you know, in in our profession, right, we are taught, it's embedded, you know, in our curriculum, it's, it's drilled into us that it is very important to take the whole body as a unit, right? And so if the whole body Uh-oh, is a she unit. About to take the osteopathic profession to church. All right, <laughs> let's go ahead. If the whole body is a unit, right? We can't just apply that to patients. She's cooking, y'all. Okay? We can't just apply that to patients. She's cooking. This, you know, the whole, the, the body is a unit is literally about life. That's mm, how I see it. Gotcha. I, I see it as about life, right? So, you know, we are taught that when a patient comes in, that even though they're coming in and maybe their arm hurts, as they're walking into the room, you should be looking at them. You should be looking at their gait. You should be looking at their demeanor. You should be looking. You should be looking at pretty much everything about this patient. Well, what about our doctors, right? Are we looking at everything about our doctors? Are we considering their mental health? Are we considering their financial situations? Are we considering the things that will impact our doctor's ability to be able to be at their very, very best. No. So the question is, is that the job of the, of the medical school? Well, I would Do you argue, think it is? I would argue that it is because if you, if you're, so if your goal is to put out physicians who are going to be competent, who are going to be willing and able to practice then I think you need to look at the entire physician's situation to say, how best can I give, like, what are the best tools and resources that I can give them to be able to take care of communities? Because that's what medical schools report that they are. I think any type of industry needs to learn how to adapt, right? We see that in so many different Mm -hmm. successful companies, organizations, or even professions. When things occur, they adapt, they change, and so forth. And I think with all of these different doctors and all of these different medical students and residents talking about side hustle culture Mm -hmm. and, you know, going on and doing stuff with social media, what that's saying is, is that, listen, what we are getting probably is not enough. Mm -hmm. And I need more. Mm -hmm. I need more preparation on A. people where they're at. I need this. I need that. So basically, all of this stuff, I think, is a symptom that the way in which we're educating or there needs to be more right. additional things that we're doing to prepare residents, mm-hmm. doctors, medical students for basically a different world, right? Well, like we're still kind of training them for like world like 30, 40, 50 the, yeah. years ago yeah. when things have completely changed, right? Yeah. When the average medical school medical school debt in 1999 was like 150,000. No, I actually think it was less than that, mm. right? Mm. But the stakes weren't as high as right. they are now. right? And you're not dealing with you know, back then the likelihood of you going into private practice was much higher than it is now. Right. Right. So now you're going into a situation where you're basically almost a high paid employee. Mm-hmm. 
So the stakes are way higher now than they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and 30 years ago. So that's my thought. I think it is. I think it's, it's, they don't have to, but I think they should in order to keep up with current times and for us to continue to, you know, basically evolve. Otherwise, if we don't evolve, then we're going right. to have that other issue where other, you know, what's the way I want to say it? Other, um, like nurses and nurse practitioners yeah, and physician assistants, mm -hmm. they will take over because people will be fleeing our occupation. Right. And they're like, well... They'll see the opportunity right. in, our, in, the, in the cracks right. of our profession. Well, I will tell you this. I was, I was definitely encouraged by the fact that that question even came up at an educational, at an academic conference. Right, because it's almost like you just pay, you pay the price to be in the game and that's it. Right. right? In, in terms, instead of just like, okay, let's, let's actually inquire, like, why is it so high? And try to figure out why it's so high and let's talk about it. Bef before it's almost like, eh, I mean, this is just what it is to right. be, a, be a doctor and that's it. Just exactly. it, move on, let's, let's go from there. Yeah. So I, I was just encouraged that, you know, especially on that panel, which was unopposed um, and it brought everybody to the table, you know, to, to hear and, and kind of, you know, get their wheels turning about this issue. Um, I was really encouraged that it happened at this particular conference. Shout out to uh, Kenneth Durgans, who was there from yeah, KCU. KCU. What's his, his official title? So he is the, um, I believe, the vice provost of uh, diversity at KCU. Yeah. yeah. And then also shout out to Dr. Rance McLean, yeah, who was Dr. our McLean. professor, our professor when we were in medical school from at 2002 KCU. to 2006. He's now at Arcom in Arkansas. Yeah, so the Arkansas. What's the full name? Uh, I believe it's Arkansas College of Osteopathic Medicine. I believe I so, so. Yeah. So he's yep. there. I think he's the dean there now. Yes, he's big the tings, dean. Big tings. Big tings. First of all, if any of his students are listening, he told, he made he really made it clear that he wanted us to let you know that we thought he was actually one of the coolest professors <laughs> in med school. He really was. He was a cool professor. Right? His pants were cool. his pants game needed some help, but you know, <laughs> you know, but he was he was excellent. He was a good, really good professor. Yeah, yeah. I remember him. he always, actually hooded me. <laughs> yes. And that picture is sitting in my mama's living room. Yeah. Right. So I was telling him that, you know, he says that he hoods so many people and he white coats so many people. You know, it's hard to keep yeah, track of all yeah. of these different things. But yeah. yeah, I told him, I was like, look, like we're part of your legacy. Right. And right. that's the whole process of kind of reach one, teach one is, yeah, although you don't like have these, uh, you know, unique special relationships that go for a long way, mm -hmm. you know, you still have an effect on folks and yeah. then they're going to affect other people and it all comes back to you, you know. Well, so. explain to the pre-meds what hooding is because they may not know what that means. Yeah, so pre-meds, uh, so when you start medical school, there's this, um, there's this, uh, what do you call it? There's this ceremony. Well, yeah, the first thing is there's the white coat ceremony. There's a ceremony yeah. called the white coat ceremony where you actually get a white coat that's put on you. You have to say the Hippocratic Oath. Um, if you're an osteopath, you say the... Osteopathic oath. You say the osteopathic <laughs> oath, like, what? right? And it basically kind of is a ceremony that kind of starts the process of you, you know, just being involved in the profession of being a physician. But right? there's someone, someone you invite someone who um, was monumental in you becoming a doctor. You get a doctor, and they come and they put the white coat on you. That means something. And then when you graduate four years later, you can invite another physician to put your hood on you, right? Like graduate, your graduation hood, yeah. Your graduation hood on you. And for me, I had Dr. Dale Sanders as well as Dr. Rance McLean who yeah. put the hood on me. So. Yeah, and you get to, choose, especially especially for the hooding, um, most students will actually choose that doctor. 
Um, and so, you know, for the white coat ceremony, you may not know someone. So that person is usually designated for you. Um, but, you know, for the hooding, because you've gone through, you know, four years of Oh, we've been school, through it. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. You yeah. know, you, you actually invited. I was going to invite Dr. Dre. I was like, Yo, <laughs> you need to come. <laughs> you need to come and hood me, Dr. Dre. Come on. No, you weren't. The rapper, Dr. Dre. I no. know. <laughs> I know that's what you're talking about. No, you weren't. Um, anyway. But yeah. Um, so that's what hooding is. And, um, you know, it just shows that, you know, for you, Dr. McLean was someone who really was just instrumental in, you know, throughout your journey in medical school. Yeah, he was very helpful with my confidence. He was very helpful with just a shoulder to kind of just talk to mm -hmm. and listen to. And um, so I, I really appreciated that over the, the four years. So mm -hmm. I felt like that was a good honor to bestow upon him. So, yeah. yeah, he yeah. was lucky to get that. <laughs> he was lucky. He was get, lucky. He was get, lucky to get that. But I don't know what's up with the lights. I don't know why the lights keep coming up and on. Uh, Alfred's gonna have to fix that but anyway <laughs> so listen um, I think that is pretty much it we gotta get on a plane so yeah we gotta get, we on gotta get out of here so listen everyone make sure you check out locumstory.com so you can figure out more stories more unbiased information about how locums works how to basically incorporate how one locums company will work with another locums company and also check out this right here WACOM Educating Leaders Conference that happens on a yearly basis. Check out Meta Christie, Dr. Meta Christie, and uh, what she meant to the osteopathic committee. And uh, we're going to get back to our normal scheduled episodes after this. And uh, we'll go from there. Anything else you want to say? No, I just, you know, I'm excited to get back to our kids. <laughs> yeah, they're waiting for us. <laughs> Earplugs ready to go. <laughs> All right, y'all. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. Peace.